Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, podcasters. This is The Truth with Bill. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for joining our last podcast last week. That was our first one. We received a lot of great feedback from everyone. Uh, Thank you all for listening. I just want to take a moment and say that if you enjoyed the podcast, if it started a conversation with yourself, with a friend, with a loved one, please share the podcast. Uh, The more listeners we have, the better the podcast will be. Uh, The more comfortable we'll be having uh, these conversations. It seems to me today that these kinds of topics are very taboo. People don't want to speak about them for whatever reason. They're just uncomfortable. I, I don't want that uncomfortability anymore. That's it. We're breaking through, everyone. We're doing it. We're going to do it together. So thank you all for listening. And on that note, let's get started. Uh, One of our listeners sent me a YouTube video uh, from Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's a wonderful individual. He speaks a lot about religions, very knowledgeable, uh, draws powerful um, parallels and conclusions uh, through all different religions, um, uh, philosophically, psychologically, and it's fabulous. This particular video uh, is titled Jordan Peterson on Buddha. You can find it on YouTube. Again, it's Jordan Peterson on Buddha. In this YouTube video, Jordan uh, compares Adam and Eve and Buddha. As we know, um, God gives Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden with one caveat. Do not eat the fruit from uh, the tree of knowledge. Buddha, on the other hand, uh, Buddha's father, rather, was given a prophecy that either Buddha would become a spiritual leader or he would become a great and powerful king. And of course, Buddha's father wants him to become a great, powerful king. So uh, what he does is keep him in the palace, and it's beautiful. He has everything he could ever need, very much like the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. Buddha has this within his castle given to him by his father. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, this area for Buddha was given to him by his his dad, um, just like Adam and Eve were given the Garden of Eden to God. Uh, parallels right off the bat. Um, Buddha, uh, who has spent most of his life in this palace, never knowing pain and sufferings of the world, um, wants to go out. He goes out from the palace. He sees an old man who is depicted as the father of fathers. So you can picture this grandfather kind of character, uh, older man, uh, hunched over with a cane, and Buddha doesn't know what to think of this man. And he asks, and He doesn't quite understand it because he's never seen this. And it is so powerful to Buddha that he retreats back to the palace for six months uh, to try and mentally digest this and figure it out. After the six months, he leaves the palace again and sees this time not an old man, but a sick man, someone full of of disease and sickness. And he doesn't understand this either. He's never seen this. He goes back to the palace for six months again. Um, Adam and Eve, on the other hand, have everything they could ever want. And as we all know, they are tempted by the snake to eat from the tree of knowledge. They eat from the tree of knowledge, gain knowledge, which in turn is pain and suffering. They know about death. They know all the hardships of of life, all the negative things that uh, we seemingly have to deal with, right? Um, And Jordan Peterson, at the end of this YouTube video, says, It is the identification with spirit that generates order 
out of chaos. So in both these stories, we have a, a kind of catalyst that that starts off this this chaos, right? Everything's perfect, and then chaos, and everything's perfect, chaos, right? But it is spirit that generates order out of chaos. So in in the Buddha story, right? He he receives chaos. First he has perfection, then chaos, and then becomes Buddha and 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 it clears up the chaos, right? It is his search for for spirit, uh, for for nirvana that clears up the chaos. Just as after Adam and Eve ate the tree of knowledge, um, you know, we are told that we are all currently dealing with the chaos of of them eating it. Otherwise, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden, right? So now we are dealing with the pains and sufferings of the world, but we are promised that you know, if we love God, uh, if we believe in God, we will be saved. And um, it, it creates order out of this chaos. Um, so again, the last quote is, it is identification with spirit that generates order out of chaos, which is very true. Uh, and when I watched this YouTube video, I noticed some other things with it, which I'd like to, to bring up. Uh, first and foremost, um, for face value, both these stories, what is interesting is that all characters in these, in these stories um, have biological vehicles and have a fraction of the divine in them. And logically, this tells us, tells us something, right? We, we have the soul, which we could assume is better in every way, shape, and form than the biological body because it comes from a higher dimension where it can function so much better than the biological body here in this lower dimension, right? If you're in a higher dimension, you could see time, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these wonderful uh, perceptions that we can't perceive in this dimension that we could perceive if we were higher in the soul realm. Uh, which then tells us that this biological body is, is not 100%. It is apt to sin, apt to malfunction, um, apt to disease, apt to old age. It is not uh, infinite. It does not live forever. It has a time limit on it. Um, whereas the soul is infinite and does not have any time limit on it. It is forever eternal. Um, it's just very interesting that these two things are pointed out. Uh, right at the beginning of the story, face value. Secondly, what else is interesting that if we assume the divine is, let's assume again that the divine is a giant soul, we are all fractions of that giant soul within a biological body surviving in this biological realm. If it, the divine is a giant soul, like we said, it would be on a higher dimension, able to see time. And if the divine can see time, and as we commonly say, the divine is all-knowing. Surely the divine would know what was going to happen with Adam and Eve from beginning and end, and what would happen to Buddha from beginning and end. And <laughs> the divine seemingly lets this happen. And logically, if, if, if we begin to think about it like the divine lets this happen, the divine then would want this to happen. This surely would be a test for all biological vehicles involved. So that tells us two things. One, the soul is higher than the biological body. 
The soul is in control of the biological body and needs to stay there. We have problems when the biological body starts controlling the soul, filling, uh, filling it with ego. The biological body is saying, no, I am an individual. This is what I am. Uh, this is my nature. And the soul is saying, well, no, um, you are like everything else in this biological realm. You're just a vehicle. And I have to get through these series of tests to remain as soul-like as I can for when this biological body dies and I go up and meet the divine again and connect with the divine again. And two very interesting points just based on this YouTube video. Um, so that, that came to mind, uh, and, and I like that a lot. And with that, we come to um, accountability. And if it is our, our soul that is in charge of a biological body, then surely we're held accountable for what we do and what we do not do, our inactions and inactions. And then we begin to think, well, how are we judged? What is a sin? Um, how do we define those things? In these great books we were given, uh, you know, there are rules uh, that if we follow this rule, we're doing good. Um, if we don't, it's a sin and we'll be punished as such. Uh, with that, I, I have a, a personal uh, brief story. Um, what, what's interesting, and we'll follow it along uh, and see where the sins are and what are sins. We'll try to define them through the story. Uh, so a personal story. Uh, at one point in my life, I was a manager of a furniture store. I was very unhappy doing this kind of work. Uh, with that being said, the people that I worked with, I, I love, have some really good friendships. I'm still in contact with many of them. Um, however, what I didn't like about the position was the amount of dishonesty that I had to exert in order to maintain my position. Uh, let, let me explain. So the materials that the furniture was made out of was very poor quality. It was particle board, uh, poorly assembled. And we sold these items 500 to 800% the cost that it costs to make them and ship them into this country. With that, we also sold credit cards um, for the business that if you open up a credit card that day, you would save a percentage on whatever you bought. Uh, with all that being said, uh, to be a successful manager, I had to meet certain sales goals every hour, every day, every week, and every month. And I had to do this at all costs. If I didn't do this and I didn't meet those monetary values, I would lose staff. Uh, they couldn't argue having this many staff if we're only making this much money. And the staff that was there, they were there because they needed to be. They needed to make money too. So I had all this, all these things on my plate. So with all of that, uh, here's a, a short story. I overhear an associate uh, speaking with some customers. Uh, it was a uh, husband and wife. They were just married and they were furnishing a new home that they had purchased. Uh, he was looking, or she and he were looking at a dresser. The husband, I hear him say to the, the associate, uh, how's the, the quality of, of this dresser? And I, I stepped in because I, I saw where this kind of sale was going, which was ready to go nowhere. I had stepped in and I said, hey folks, how you doing? I'm the manager here. My name's Bill. I overheard you uh, asking about the quality of this dresser. Uh, just to let you know, as long as I've worked here, these dressers have never been returned. I've never had a return on this dresser. Um, first of all, 
I've only worked there a year. Uh, the dressers have absolutely been returned. Uh, not only are they returned, but before we even get them, when they come to us off the truck, more often than not, they're already damaged. And we don't classify it as damaged if we could glue it and put wood marker on it that you can't tell. Because if you can't tell, then it's not damaged, right? So this is lie, 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 right off the bat with me meeting these people. So uh, uh, the husband seems okay with it, but now he starts asking about the price, uh, which, of course, is a perfect time for me to inject the credit card, which will save them so much percentage on this dresser if they open it. So I explain to them the credit card, and I turn to his wife, and I say, if you give me your license, I can get this credit card started. I'll give you a temporary one, and everything you buy today, you will save a percentage off on, on these items. So I... <laughs> Now I'm manipulating, right? Uh, I'm looking at the husband, talking with him. When it comes time for the credit card, I look at the wife. I get her license. Um, before he could say anything, she's got a temporary credit card. She's looking at five more things to purchase when he was complaining about the price of that dresser. The dresser was $800, all said and done. They spent $2,300. So that's really good. Uh, for me, as a, really good for me as a manager, right? Not really good for my soul. <laughs> um, I, I have lied to these people. Um, and I have also manipulated them to make more purchases, spending more money. Not only have I done that, I have opened up a credit card for them. I don't know what their credit history is. Uh, it could potentially ruin their credit history. If they were making a purchase with credit, uh, they had just bought a house, but if they were buying a house or looking at one, they probably wouldn't get it because it was a hit on their credit. Um, and, and all of these factors. And, and folks, it gets even worse because we're not even talking about the most important aspect of this. So that's all of that. Now, let's think about who made this furniture, who built it. So here's this furniture company. And they have a choice of either opening up a manufacturing plant in, let's say, England or America. And they don't want to open up in either one of those because if they do, they will have to pay them England's minimum wage and wherever in America's minimum wage is, which is a heck of a lot more money than it would be if they opened up that manufacturing plant in a third world country, right? So that's what they do because it's cheaper. The, the labor is cheaper. Um, and... In this third world country, prior to this manufacturing plant being open, this was a farming community. And as we know, with farming type of communities, agricultural, uh, individuals that make their living outside, it's a very spiritual path. It's a very religious path. We, we look at, let, let's say, for example, the, the Amish, um, very close-knit society, very spiritual, very religious. You don't hear about murders. You don't hear about rape. You don't hear, hear about all of these uh, pains and sufferings of the world in this community. So maybe they're doing something right. And, and here, here's this community in this third world country living very much the same way. And now this manufacturing plant opens up. And they open up and they say, hey, you know, uh, maybe you're making 50 cents a day by selling this, this agricultural uh, products that you're growing but I could pay you a dollar a day. And I, not only can I pay you a dollar a day, but I could pay you, your wife, uh, your son, his children, your grandmother. And before you know it, the whole family is working in this manufacturing plant, which, by the way, is not safe. 
doesn't have uh, any kind of regulations like they would here in America or England. Um, and and <laughs> not only is this family working now in this unsafe environment for an extra 50 cents an individual to get, let's say, cleaner water, uh, maybe some clothing, what have you, um, but we have just stripped them of their spirituality in, in, in the way in which they live. We've destroyed their whole culture. For what? So I could be a manager of this store. So these individuals can buy a dresser and, uh, you know, they ended up with $2,300 worth of items. So it was like a, a dresser, a lamp, um, a table, who knows? And these items that these people are purchasing are for rooms that no one is ever going to go into. They don't actually need it. This is for a spare bedroom that's never going to get used. This is for a second home that they have, that they're feeling that they're only going to spend a month out of the year in. So you have to fill this second home with all of these, play, all of these products and things that are damaging communities on the other side of the world, spiritually damaging them. Because they're not spiritual anymore. They don't have the time that they had before to, to pay homage to their God and the way in which they live their life as a close-knit family, a uh, mother and father being in the same home, a grandmother, a grandfather, right? It, it takes a village to raise a kid. This is what these, these people are doing, and we stripped it away of them for furniture. And let me tell you, crap furniture, particle board, items that come to, to this country damaged, not because of how it's built, but because of the materials that they're forced to use to build it with. What a travesty. And we think about this and how much sin have I just created? How much pain and suffering have I just created for all these individuals? So I think about that. And I have to take a step back. Because I'm held accountable. I'm held accountable for my actions and inactions. My soul controls my biological body. My biological body does not control my soul. So what did I do? I found a different job. Something in the civil service industry, uh, very rewarding. I'm not hurting anyone. I, I come home and I feel great. Before, as a manager of the furniture uh, place, I, I came home not feeling great at all. I came home thinking about all the pains and sufferings I have caused people that I didn't know. That's not right. Something is wrong there. That cannot be right. So yes, we, we all need to take accountability for our actions. And as much as we judge others around us, and as much as we try to figure out what is working and not working for individuals around us, because we're very good at that, right? We're very good at seeing other people seeing the problems in their lives and seeing how this, this, and this led up to this, and this is why they are this way. But for us, for us, that's a different story. Our ego gets in the way. It makes it very difficult to judge yourself, but that's really what we need to do. As difficult as it is, we need to judge ourselves the same way we judge everyone else around us. We need to look at ourselves the same way we look at everyone else around us. We, we have to. It is the only way to make us better. 
And and that that's what this is about. It, it is the truth with Bill, but we're searching for the truth. And we're searching searching for it together. And we're redefining it, redefining ourselves. I, I could look back, and like I said, I'm, I'm 38 now. I could look back from when I was 28 to when I was 18 to when I was 8 years old. And all, all different units of that time, I was a different person every single one. And I'm sure all of you could look back and, and see the same, and that's us changing and developing. And, and we need to keep doing it at a certain point. And like I said, I'm 38 now. I know individuals around my age, either a few years older, a few years younger, and the amount of growth that I see within them is so very little. They are the same people that they were when they were 18. And it, it's not... It, they are just stuck and trapped in, in what our culture says is right, which is you need to have this ego. You are an individual. You are number one. Um, you know, you have to make a lot of money. You have to have these things to prove that you've made a lot of money. You have to have this. You have to have this. And it is this constant um, cat and mouse game trying to fill this void within us. And truthfully, the only thing that could fill this void within us is the divine. That's what, that's what is missing, is the connection with the divine. And somehow, some way, we get trapped into thinking that it's all these ego-filled things that should be filling this void. Uh, my occupation, I have to be a lawyer, I have to be a doctor, I have to make six figures a year. Because once I make six figures a year, you know, I, I have it then. Or um, I, I have to have this Mercedes, I have to have this Harley. I have to have this BMW um, because once I do, you know, I'm there. And then we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, well, these are, these are my hobbies. These are the extra things I do to let off steam at work. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. These things in which you're doing are causing more pain and suffering for more individuals than anyone has ever thought about. And once you start thinking about it, like, buying that furniture that was made in the third world country and how it affected a, a farming community, that's when things really start to sink in. And it really hits home for us. And it's powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, so let, let's go now. Uh, I have a wonderful poem I'd like to share. Um, and it, it has a very interesting perspective. And I, I think everyone will enjoy it. So here we go. Um, the poem is from, one second, let me get it here. Uh, the, the poem is from Yogananda. Uh, there, there was a great biography, um, done with him. I believe it's on Netflix. You could check it out. This poem is called mother's eyes. So here we go. I sought those two black eyes everywhere. When my teacher or my brother rebuked me or were unkind. I sought help every day in the sweetness of those two black eyes. In the harbor of those two black eyes, I sought refuge. She died. I cried and I sought in the stars, in the darkness of the night for those two black eyes. But I found them not. Many other black eyes shone upon my childhood, but they were not those two black eyes which I had loved. In the stillness of the forest and the darkness of the night, I used to watch under the stars, watching in the darkness, looking for those two angelic, unapproachable black eyes, but I found them not. Now that my mind is awakened, 
I see those two black eyes everywhere. In the eyes of the Divine Mother, I have found my own mother. In the love of the Divine Mother, I have found my mother's love. That last paragraph is absolutely great. And that's why I chose this poem. I chose to read it today. Um, the first stanza, it says, Now that my mind is awakened, comma, I see. Now that my mind is awakened, I see. In other words, now that I know the truth, I could see. Now that the veil has been lifted, I could see. I could see through the illusion of this realm. So now he sees those two black eyes everywhere. In every person, he sees his mother's eyes looking back to him. Because his mother, the biological vehicle of his mother, is his mother. But the fraction of the divine that resides inside of his mother is in every single biological vehicle. And he recognizes that now that his mind is awakened. So I think, uh, in, in closing, uh, the end of our podcast today, let's, I would like us to think about how we view everyone around us. Um, they're not just biological vehicles. And they are not just ego that, that they're trying to, to be or who they're trying to be. They're all fractions of the divine, just like you and I. And we, when we begin to see people like that, we begin to see the beauty in every single person, the beauty in every person, the love in every person. And sometimes it's challenging with individuals. Uh, just keep in mind that every, every human being here, every biological vehicle here has a fraction of the divine in them. And we're all trying to figure that out. We're all trying to get there with it. And sometimes we're led astray and it's very difficult to judge yourself, as we've talked about. So have patience with everyone. Just remember, the divine is in all of us. And in seeing that, we could see the love in everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I appreciate all of your time. Uh, thank you for um, adding things. Please send me YouTube videos, questions, comments, anything like that. I really appreciate it. All your support, friends and family. Uh, this this podcast is only going to get better, and it gets better uh, with all of you listening and 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 adding your your thoughts in. So I, I just want to thank you all. And I know I said this earlier, but if if this podcast uh, starts a conversation with yourself, a friend, a loved one, please share it. Uh, thank you all for listening. I love you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. This is the truth with Bill.